believe I am recording. I think I'm recording. I think we're in business. Welcome, dear listener, to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me for... There you go. There's a little message telling me that it was recorded. I have no idea if that start even recorded or not. Just in case it didn't, I'll repeat it again. That's all right. Welcome back, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me for this episode is Eli Duxon. Eli, how are you? Eli Lions had a very good win on the weekend in Perth. Badly needed percentage booster. Yes, it's good. It's just good to bounce back, I think. Um, I think the top four is out of the question now, unfortunately, unless a miracle happens. But um, it's still good to, yeah, get a win leading up to finals. So, yeah, no, good to be back on the show. Now, let's, um, let's get straight on to it. Basically, dear listener, three different sections to the podcast. Section one, we each give our top two highlights, top two lowlights. Section two, we'll discuss the four major talking points to come out of the weekend. And section three, we will preview round 22. I cannot believe I'm saying round 22. This season has just flown by and at the same time has absolutely crawled. But let's get on to our top two highlights, top two lowlights. Eli, what were your top two highlights of what was a massive round 21? Yeah, you just touched, touched on it. And it was uh, yeah, Brizzy bouncing back, but also Gold Coast bouncing back. So a bit of a, the, the Northern Exposure boys are pretty happy about it. So, um, yeah, footy's back in Queensland um, after Gold Coast got absolutely walloped by Melbourne. Um, and yeah, Brisbane, we've had a last pretty, pretty ordinary last month. So, um, yeah, it was great to see them bounce back, play some good footy. Um, and my other highlight, I'm not even sure if you could call it a highlight, but it's more of just an exciting thing was the lightning halting play on Monday night footy between West Coast and Melbourne. That was something that I've never seen play halted in my time watching footy and even playing footy at local level. It was um, there's some pretty ordinary days that I, I wish were called off or at least paused, um, but they weren't. So I think that was yeah absolutely incredible to see. I'm not sure uh, if I'll see that again. Um, but Casper, what were your two highlights? It's interesting, that game in Perth. Now, um, don't quote me on this, dear listener. I'm a young journalist and I will never purposely mislead you, okay? So don't quote me on this, but I'm 99% certain that that was officially the longest quarter in AFL history. Technically, the the time clock didn't stop during that half hour break, which meant the quarter lasted something like 59 minutes long. I think the previous longest was 40 minutes. And that was back in 2002 or so. So pretty impressive indeed. My top two highlights, many people would be thinking, oh, he's gonna say, he's gonna say the Bombers as number one. I'll touch on the Bombers in a second. But only reason why Essendon are number two instead of number one is because although it was a great win, we were playing at home. We were playing at our home ground and we play our home ground very, very well. The Giants, on the other hand, were playing at a ground where almost no one, unless you're Geelong or the Sydney Swans, win. And yet missing such a large caliber of players they produced quite possibly the most impressive win in the club's history. And they should be commended for that, the Giants. Number one. Number two, it's got to be the Bombers. Come on, give that to us. Give it to us. Yeah, we'll pay that. 
Our first win, thank you. Our first win against the Dogs since 2014. Our first win ever against Luke Beveridge. Finally, the six-game torturous losing streak is over. And I cannot be happier. Now, unfortunately, we've got to discuss the lowlights. Eli, what were your two negatives? Um, well, there was, a, there was a few that you could take out of it, but I think number one, it's got to be Carlton. Um, the praise Gold Coast for their performance, um, for them to bounce back. But they're coming off a massive loss against Melbourne. I'm sure Stuart Chu would have been revving up the boys. But if you're Carlton, you've got to capitalise on that. You, I think they're two games out of the eight now or a game and a half for GWS to draw. Um, and that could have put them well within uh, contention. Um, do they deserve it? Probably not the way they've played for a lot of the year. Um, and if they picked up some of those games earlier in the year, then you can, like, they could very well be comfortably in the eight. But um, yeah, they missed an opportunity there. And um, but the review and progress as well, it's just not a. I think that was a pretty ordinary um, result for them. Um, but of course, we'll touch on them later. Um, and Frio, the other ones, again, top eight contenders. They started the round in eighth and they finished finished round in twelfth. Again, Brisbane did play quite well, um, but the Frio's uh, performance probably allowed a lot of that to happen as well. There was just poor skills, too many passengers um, in a game that could have really cemented, um, not cemented, but given you decide a pretty good uh, advantage heading into the last two games of the year, um, I think it was a very big missed opportunity there. I'm also going to mention Carlton. That was just, and look, full kudos to the Suns, but once again, Carlton showed that they're that they're a team that whenever somebody walks up to their face and goes boo, they'll they'll cower in the corner. <laughs> Downhill skiers, whatever term you want to apply to them, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to be called as a footballer. It'll probably hurt your pride, I can imagine. And these players, they talk about their love for David T. They don't see it. I think there's a Carlton supporter on YouTube who says this, but they're, they're playing like they hate David Deke, like they want him fired. Just absolutely shambolic. Speaking of shambolic, very tough week for the Adelaide Crows. Very tough week. We'll talk about the Taylor Walker sanction later. I thought Matthew Nix did a great job, the way that he handled it. Uh, club pushed Port all the way which I thought was very, very brave. Great effort. I'm lucky to lose that one. And then I see that a team with one of the youngest, most inexperienced and poorest defences in the competition, who has had one of their mainstays down back over the last few years, injured this year, so he hasn't played, still the late 20s, Plenty of time left in his career, one would think. Talk about Daniel Talia. And I see today that the Crows are going to let him go at the end of the year. Not going to offer him a contract for next year. Are you kidding me? The expertise that he would bring to your club, even if he's not on the field, the expertise he would bring to that young backline would be astronomical. And you are letting that opportunity go. I wouldn't be surprised if there would be a myriad of other clubs waiting in the wings just to snap him up. Dreadful decision by the Crows. Their worst decision 
since deciding to go on that particular camp back in early 2018. It's a big call to couple those two together. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. (laughs) Let's get on to section two. Uh, The four major talking points to come out of the weekend. Oh, and special mention as well. Uh, I was going to mention this is one of my top two highlights and I forgot. I mentioned it as an extra bonus. Third one. Great to see AFLW expanding by the 2022-2023 season. We will have the remaining four clubs that currently do not have an AFLW team have an AFLW team. So welcome to the AFLW, Hawthorne, Essendon, Sydney, and Port Adelaide. Just great competition, growing strength to strength. Is it growing too quickly, I wonder? Eh, We'll wait to see. But today is a day for celebration for the competition. The analysis will come once the uh, four teams are actually playing. Now, onto the four major talking points. We've talked about Carlton. It's pretty clear to me that they are a team stuck in limbo. They're not a terrible team, but they're not a good team either. They're stuck in that horrible mediocrity average. And I want to ask you, Eli, how do they take that next step upwards to being a good team yeah it, it's really hard to tell as an outsider to be honest because like there does look to be genuine effort from a lot of their players um but not all the time um like you, you can't say that the the 22 blokes running now the 23 blokes running now to give an absolutely no effort and looking shocking um because yeah sometimes as as all fans would say their own club uh, it does look like it absolutely but um We've seen like periods of brilliance from them. They've um, they're shown they're a very capable outfit. Um, but the way I read it is, it seems like maybe a new coach could freshen things up and revitalize a group. But things should still be fresh with David Teague. And like you said, the players do say they love him, but um, it just seems stale already. And I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe we don't see enough passion from him. Um, maybe... Um, again, it's as an outsider that there might be, that might be um, there internally, um, but yeah, maybe just not seeing it externally. So um, yeah, I'm off. it's 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 a great question, and I'm sure the the review that's going on will answer a lot of the questions because the fact that, that review is in place probably tells me that they're not quite sure themselves, um, and they're trying to really get to the bottom of it and see whether the direction or the new direction to take the club is. Um, moving forward, so um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really tough one because on paper their team, they got a, they got a, they got a very good side, and they're gonna have a quite. A, um, Sam Walsh is going to be the best player in the competition quite comfortably, um, and I'd say you don't have to give that very long before that happens. Um, so yeah, it, it's hard to read, um, and I'm hoping this review is successful for them because. Um, you, you hate to say it as, as a non-Carlton fan, but Carlton being competitive again um, for and challenging the eight genuinely, um, it's just going to be good for 40. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. I remember um, watching a few years ago uh, a match replay of when Essendon beat Hawthorne in the 2009 Round 22 game. I was actually at that game, so I didn't watch it on TV. And I watched a review of it just before the final siren sound. I can't remember the commentator who said this, but one of them said, you know, it's really good to see Essendon, Carlton and Collingwood in the finals again. 
because I think it was the first time since like the early 90s that they were all in the final series together. Um, and you know what? Yeah, sure. It's great to see interstate clubs in finals, but it's good to see traditional Victorian finals too. You know, it's good to see a good balance between the two. As for David T, I think he's too, he, he's not defensive enough. He doesn't put enough emphasis on defense. And you can tell that by the way his players play because they do not put at any level of defensive intensity that's needed. You can, you can, did you get any highlight from this year from any of their losses or any of their wins? And honestly, it would, it would, it would be the same. You know, they almost be the exact same mistakes. Poor defensive efforts, especially on transition. Teams can carve cows into pieces to transitioning through the middle of the ground. I reckon, right, and I played Oz Kick in Dubai with a bunch when I was 12 years old, a bunch of other 12-year-olds, and I reckon us at that age could kick 100 points against Carlton. That's how poor <laughs> efforts are. That's how poor they are. So you need a coach that can actually, you know, put inside the players' minds that they actually need to defend as well as attack. It's all good to attack, but it doesn't help, you know. If you kick 100 points, it's good, but what about your opposition? What if they kick 100 points as well? Anyways, on to the next talking point. Seventh and eighth. Still up for grabs after the Eagles lost to the Demons. My question for you, Eli, is what do you make of the race for 7th and 8th? Who do you reckon is going to make it? It's almost like the AFL scripted. Year after year, we get an interesting battle towards whether it's the last game of the round of the season or maybe the last round, last two rounds like we have now. There seems to be an awesome battle that will decide either one spot or the way we have it. Pretty much every single spot in the eight could be different um, from round to round, which is just incredible. But um, for me, I think it goes without saying, but the GWS versus Richmond game is going to be absolutely massive this weekend. Um, I think that the winner out of that one will take one spot in the eight. Um, and what spot that is, who knows at this stage? I think personally, my opinion is that Essendon will replace West Coast in the A because let's be honest, I'm not sure um, West Coast probably deserved to be there this year. They've still got such a fantastic side in the way they've played. Um, they're certainly underperformed and underachieved. Um, and I think Essendon can genuinely take that spot. They'll beat um, Gold Coast and uh, Collingwood. They'll sneak in on percentage if West Coast um, lose one or both of their games against Fremont Brisbane, which... They, they could lose both of those games. Um, but again, they could very well win both of them um, the way that they can play. So, But for me, yep, um, GWS and Essendon take seventh and eighth spot. I like that answer. I'm going with the same thing. I reckon the Giants and the Bombers are going to make it. The Eagles, I think, are going to lose the remaining two matches. I think Fremantle are finally going to break their drought. Against the because I mean from Fremantle's perspective, if not now, then when? Like honestly, 
It might be until 2037 before the Dockets get a better opportunity to beat the Eagles. And now the Eagles are for the taking. And if Fremantle are good enough, which I think they are, they'll win. And plus, they'll want to bounce back after that disappointing, disappointing performance against Brisbane. Um, as for Richmond, yes, that game against the Giants is going to be absolutely critical. But I think even if they win that, the fact that they are trailing the Bombers quite significantly in percentage means that they probably have to rely on Essendon dropping one of their two games or they would have to annihilate, Richmond would have to annihilate the Giants and the Hawks. And with how well both teams have been playing the last few weeks, I don't think that's going to happen. They think the Tigers are going to just miss out. But it's going to be a very, very intriguing race, that's for sure. Now, uh, on to the next talking point. It was a great afternoon for the Bombers on Sunday, not so much for the Western Bulldogs. Not only did they lose a game that they would have expected to win, but they also lost arguably their best key forward to a season-ending knee injury. Now, Eli, I want to ask you, especially as a Brisbane supporter, Brisbane dealt with a couple of these injuries this year. What do you reckon this injury to Josh Bruce does to the Bulldogs' finals hopes and to the finals picture as a whole? Yeah, firstly, it's obviously terrible news. You don't want to see anyone do that kind of injury because um, it is something that yeah, could give them a lot of trouble uh, at later stages. Um, so best of wish, best wishes to him and his recovery. Um, of course, it hurts the Bulldogs, but I don't think it's drastically detrimental. I mean, they are losing 40, 40-odd 40 goals there, um, which, of course, you take that out of any side, it's, um, that's, it's not good. I might need a fact-check whether that's um, 40, 40 goals. Um, yeah, 48, to be exact. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So um, you take that out of any forward line, it's going to hurt. Um, but that was need to reshape a little bit. Um, you could probably expect Ugo Hagen to get a lot more ball hitting his way. Um, and obviously Aaron Norton's still down there. Um, but with Ugo Hagen now going to be taking the second best defender, um, it is going to be a big, big challenge for him. So I do expect them to reshuffle things. They can, the options they could take and we are currently recording Thursday afternoon. The teams are not out yet, um, I don't believe. Um, so I, it's really hard to tell which way they'll go, but you've got Latham Vandermeer and Mitch Wallace sitting in the twos um, as like sort of small, medium forwards. Uh, Mitch Wallace was the lead-up option for them at one point um, last year, and he was successful before he lost his spot. Um, so they could go that way and then just play a little bit smaller. Um, or... Their, their other option could be to bring in another Ruckman. So Steph Martin's probably a couple of weeks away. So um, you could probably expect him to come straight back in for the finals if he's fit. Um, but they've got Jordan Sweet sitting there. who has played a couple of games this year. If he comes in, that means uh, Timmy English can rest up forward a little bit more um, and, and play that way because at the moment, they're going to be stretched pretty thin in the Ruck department. So that might mean um, Norton might have to pinch it in the ruck um, or Cordy comes up. So they'll, they, they could lose a key forward or key defender at either end. So um, I'd probably expect them to bring in another, another ruckman um, to give English a bit of backup and for them to be able to have another uh, forward option. Um, but yeah, to be a contender, 
you have to show that you got depth. Um, you mentioned in Brisbane, we've had to um, go pretty deep this year and um, it's good that we're probably going to get a few boys back this week. Darcy Gardner being another big in. Um, so if, if he passes his tests, so, um, but yeah, you've got to be able to adapt to situations. It's a war of, a, war of attrition, really. This uh, the way the AFL season is. Um, there's very few... Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's very little reprieve. You get that week between end of season and finals, um, but that's about it really. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it will hurt them like in the sense that they're going to go straight sets and they're going to be done for this season. They'll still be very competitive. Bond's probably the best player in the league this season. He's my tip for the Brownlow. Um, so they've still got an outstanding team. Trelaw just came back. Um, but they'll just have to reshape a little bit and adjust. But I, I think they're certainly capable of beating anyone still without Josh Bruce. My question for you is then, does this mean that Jamara Eagle Hagen is going to have to take on far more responsibility than I think he, I think anyone would have expected? Do you think his importance has now grown? You have to excuse the robotic voice that's connecting on my Absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Absolutely, is his importance grows, and he's been able to sit there as the third option um, for this time. hasn't gotten heaps of game time, um, so he's been able to sort of work his way in. But yeah, the, the time is now. He's got to start making an impact, and that doesn't have to be on the scoreboard or getting ten to fifteen disposals. That's got to be him leaping up for marks, putting pressure on the defense, um, being a genuine threat uh, for, for opposition teams. So. They just can't sort of sit back on him and think, no, he's okay, because there's been a lot of hype around him and he's shown, shown glimpses of his athleticism and his skills. Um, but, yeah, he's going to have to show a little bit more, and I think he's capable. Um, the fact that he hasn't come out and kicked five so far, like yeah, it's not alarm bells. He, he's done quite well in the VFL and he's kicked a couple of bags there. So, um, yeah, again, his impact doesn't have to be on the scoreboard as long as he can bring it to ground, they can get some good smalls around him. Um, or, of course, if he can chip in for the one or two goals, if not more, then I think the Bulldogs will certainly take that and, um, yeah, just be a genuine threat up forward. Make, make the uh, defence accountable for him. It's going to be very interesting indeed to see how he deals with the pressure. Um, well, I mean, look... Great teams, premiership teams in the past have had to deal with horrible injuries and players missing, and they've been able to cope with them. I mean, look what happened to West Coast, right? I mean, yeah, Drew Gaff was through suspension, but Brad Shepard and Nick Danui, who, you know, midway through the year, you would think, you would have said, midway through 2018, if the Eagles are to win the premiership this year, you have to have Nick Danui and Brad Shepard and Andrew Gaff at full flight. And all those players were in the stands, on grand final day and they still won so if they're good enough brisbane if they are good enough they'll be able to overcome just about anything now last week i mentioned as one of my negatives the whole andrew walker situation early this episode i uh, mentioned uh, how i thought that um nicks responded quite well to that However, there's been a little bit of controversy about his, his punishment, financial punishment, alongside six matches, 
So the rest of this year and the first uh, four games, three or four matches of the 2022 season. Eli, was that enough? I mean, you can compare it against previous ones that have happened. Spot over at 99, um, he racially abused uh, Scott Chisholm. He donated $20,000 to a charity of Chisholm Choice, um, self-imposed four-match ban and undertook um, racial awareness training, much like Walker's going to be doing as well. Um, and 10 years ago, Justin Sherman, same thing, got banned for four games, um, attended education program, paid $5,000 to a charity chosen by, uh, by the Gold Coast because he... A racially vilified Gold Coast player. Um, so it sort of falls within those parameters. Um, and I do think it's enough to teach him out of the players a lesson. Um, not so much in the sense that um, don't do it because you will get fined, but just don't do it. I think um, they set, they're setting a bit of a precedent here that you're not just going to get away with it. Um, like you're not just going to be able to challenge it at the tribunal. Um, I think there's been a lot more. Um, education around it since those two incidents I mentioned as well um, and a lot of players are on board with it. Um, I think the Black Lives Matter protests all over the world last year were a big indicator of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to tell like with what was said and in what way um, if it was delivered directly at Young in a threatening manner, I would say it's very lenient um, but it's still a pretty good whack from yeah again as, as an outsider again not knowing exactly what went down um but for there to be racial comments made um yeah i think i think it's probably just about bang on i think it was tony armstrong who mentioned this he said spider everett you know same thing in 99 racially vilified someone else four games suspended, and he said 22 years later with all the so-called progress that's been made and all the knowledge that we have now and all the efforts that the AFL has tried to make in terms of making itself a friendly game, all that progress that's been made has only resulted in two extra matches I, I think they could have made a massive, massive, massive statement here. Because obviously that would have been downright accept, unacceptable in 1999. But now, as you said, it's after the Black Lives Matter movement, after everything in the last few years, especially this year with the amount of players that have been racially vilified on social media and it being called out every single time, which is great which is great and I'm so happy that that's happening in terms of it being called out. To have only six matches, the idea that Tex Walker could be back out there as early as round four next year just doesn't sit right with me. Sorry, round, round four, round five next year. It just doesn't sit right with me. I think it should have been minimum 12 matches. 12 or 15 matches. That would have made a real statement there. Would have made an absolute real statement. And I reckon Kane Corns was right. I normally don't agree with Kane Corns, but I agree with Kane Corns that what Taylor Walker needs to do is front the media 
and allow them to ask him questions. Because yeah, sure, the video and full power to um to uh, to Robbie for for doing that video with Taylor Walker. It must have been so difficult to to do that. And I just admire him for for even being next to Tex Walker after what he said to him. But at the same time, that's a scripted thing. You know, let let Tex Walker in an unscripted environment answer questions from the press. And let's see how well he handles the heat. Um, real opportunity missed, I think. And I think normally the AFL, they do, um, they do repercussions for things like this normally pretty well. Now, you know, drug suspensions, repercussions, I think are, are right. Um, but, you know, the thing for me that's kind of crazy is if a drug, if a, if a drug suspension can cause a player to miss back-to-back -back drug issues two years with really Rioli, then how could something that I think is far more damaging, racist, result in only six matches? Opportunity miss. I think you've got to look at the really Rioli one, though, as well, like the and, and all the other sort of drug and, um, uh, violations. And uh, I think with that one as well, was that would that have been a um, Asada ban, or would that have been through? Was that through the AFL as well? I can't quite remember, but it's it is an interesting one because you've got a you set a precedent there for sure. Um, like I mentioned, the other ones did because despite everyone was probably a minimum, um, but from there. How do you liken it to other ones where, where you say um, for some sort of striking? Um, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Cameron a few years ago got six matches um, for elbowing, elbowing or yeah for elbowing Harris Andrews, um, semi incidentally I guess. Um, and Harris Andrews had bleeding from the brain from that. He missed he missed a number of weeks, and that's when Josh Walker got unearthed um, and started playing a role. But that aside. I think it makes it tough to be able to say, well, okay, how do we know the significance of this compared to health? Because I think that would have been the most challenging thing for the AFL because they've got to think about that because if later on a player try to sue because of concussions or other injuries they've picked up and they try to sue AFL for negligence like, we've, um, like we have seen before, I think it's going to make it a quite awkward situation for them if they say, well, I've got all this damage to me physically. Um, that player wasn't suspended for long enough. Um, but then I've got this case here where you've made this player miss much more um, or the same for um, a different thing. And I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not underplaying the significance of um, the like what Tex Walker said, uh, there's no room for racism. And I know it's a cliche, but I totally agree that it was um, terrible what he did and he absolutely deserves the suspension that he got. But I think it puts AFL in a very tough situation if they are to go ab above that sort of threshold. Um, it, again, it's, I'm not going to get into the legal side of things. So I've, I tried to then, but that's, that's not what I know. 
Um, but I think that's where it would have that's what would have been tough for the AFL to say, well, yeah, this is these are similar events. Um, and then keeping in mind 20 grand and all the, the match payments Tex Walker is going to lose um, as well as the, doing the training program. I do think it is a bit more significant than six weeks, 20 grand and training. Um, it, it's, it is going to be a little bit more than that surface level sort of suspension that we see. Um, it's going to have a, bit, a lot bigger impact on Tex Walker. It's tarnished his reputation. Um, much like Steve Smith is one of the best batsmen. A lot of people will know him for the sandpaper incident. Um, and I don't think, it, like, again, it's it's tough to sort of speak for on behalf of the AFL because I can't do it. But, yeah, I think that's where the tough situation would have come in for them in imposing a big sanction, like a 12-game type of thing. But, um, but yeah, I absolutely see Tony Armstrong. I love I love him. Um, I don't even watch him in the ABC. I, I don't even watch any ABC, and I still love him. So um, he's, he's, he's a, I've heard some of his podcasts. He's a great guy, and I absolutely agree with him that yeah, we have come a long way. But then you've got to ask yourself if we have come a long way. Um, are we more racist now than we were 22 years ago? Um, and if so, how did that happen? Well, I think that's exactly um, the point. That Tony, sorry, I think that's exactly the point that Tony was trying to to raise. You know, the fact that we say that we yeah. made all this progress, and yet, you know, for everything that that has happened, and all the players that have stood up and stood out against racism, and you know, they're coming out and saying. You know, we've learned from the whole Adam Goods, um, the whole horrible, horrible, horrible situation with Adam Goods and the clubs all coming out and saying, yep, sorry, we, we should have done better. They have an opportunity, the Crows, to reflect that. And the AFL has an opportunity to reflect that. And I think they failed. That's just my opinion. I think they failed. Yeah, that's fair. On to... Friday night footy. Now, this fixture, I believe, has been confirmed now in terms of who's playing where exactly. So let's get on to Friday night football at Marvel Stadium, a.k.a. Richmond's least favourite stadium to play at. A whole whopping, what is it, like a kilometre and a half away from the MCG? Something like that? Something like that. Big hike, massive hike. It's the Giants and the Tigers. Funny enough, the second time this year they're meeting at Marvel Stadium. This time it's a Giants home game. Eli, I'll let you start with this one. Can the Giants, second week in a row, this time without Toby Green, although I think the Giants are still going to challenge his suspension, so who knows, maybe he is playing. But potentially without Toby Green, can the Giants once again defy the odds? I think his suspension got downgraded to one game instead of two. Um, so he he will be out, uh, which is a big loss. Um, but, yeah, I think I think they can win, uh, as we said earlier. Um, I think they'll win this game and then almost cement themselves a spot in the eight. Um, but I've still, I've still backed Richmond for so, uh, so much of this season. Um, Obviously, I don't back them to challenge the flag like I was earlier in the season, probably one of the early podcasts I did this season. Um, probably heard me say that they were still the best team in the competition, which I now regret. Um, so they've still got plenty of tricks up their sleeve. They're, 
they're a seasoned outfit. Um, but GWS take this one for mine. I'm going to go by two goals in a um, yeah, bit of a thriller. I hope it's a great game. So they are taking yet another um, uh, appeal. Apparently, they're going to try um, to appeal the one-match suspension at the AFL Appeals Board. Apparently, the Giants. So Toby Green still could play. Hmm. Even yeah. with that, though, you just wonder whether or not the young Giants and their luck, their luck is going to run out or not. Because Richmond, they're starting to find a bit of form, the Tigers. To get the first half of the game last week, that was rubbish. But the second half was very, very good, especially that third quarter. And it's this time of year. This is August. This time of year, Richmond, they get on a roll. They always do it. I think the Tigers are going to win. And it's going to be an epic, epic, epic Friday night contest. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants won. Because Richmond, as I said, they hate playing at Marvel Stadium. But it'll be a great game of football. Richmond by eight points. Now, on to Saturday afternoon football. If I just pull up the fixture to see which game is first. Uh, the two Queensland games. Well, sorry, there were two games in Queensland. There's now one game in Queensland, but we'll get to those. Because first off, it is Hawthorne versus the Western Bulldogs at Utah Stadium down in Launceston. I think the Dogs are going to win. This could be a danger game, though, for the Dogs. It could be a massive danger game for the Dogs because the Hawks have been playing very well ever since the club announced that Clarkson is going to be uh, no longer coaching the club. They have been playing close to their 2016 form. They're not quite premiership vintage, but still pretty good. With that being said, though, the Dogs are going to be hurting a lot after that game against the Bombers. And they're going to want to be ruthless. I don't think it's going to be a massive victory for the Dogs. I think it's going to be a close game. Dogs should win 15 points. Yeah, I agree. Um, Hall will be playing absolutely brilliantly. Um, and there'll be no walkover, but you know, I still back the Dogs here. Um, yeah, I think I'll go a similar margin. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset. I think Hawthorne are certainly capable. And I mean, they've got nothing to lose at the moment. They're probably playing with a fair bit of freedom. Blokes will be playing for their spot in the side next year in contracts. Um, and Bulldogs are obviously looking at onto bigger things. So uh, it's not going to be in their biggest focus. Um, for the Dogs, obviously, they'll absolutely focus 100%. But, but what I mean is they're looking onto bigger and better things beyond this game. Um, so Hawthorne. I'm probably going to throw the kitchen sink at them. And yeah, well, I think a close game, but don't be surprised if Hawks get up. This game could also be very, very interesting. Down at GMH Bay Stadium in Geelong, it's the Cats and the Saints. Eli, the Saints somehow comfortably beat the Swans last week. They, I think 1999 was the last time that the Saints have actually won in Geelong. So can the Saints defy the odds for the second week in a row. Will the Mate, Saints come out in Geelong and come March <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got no idea, man. I, I don't know if the Saints are good or not still. They, they, they just, they're so hot and cold. I just can't, I just can't pick them. They've got a good side, but then they just show some weeks that they're just absolutely dreadful. So um, I hope they turn up. 
um, because if, if they beat Geelong um, and Geelong lose the week after and Richmond get both games, we could get back in the top four. So um, I'm going to go the Saints. Um, do I think they'll win? No, but I hope they win. <laughs> Fair enough. Unfortunately for your Lions, they do expect Geelong to win. And to shore up a spot inside the top four, uh, Cats by 29 points. I think it's going to be a fairly comfortable win. Geelong, they're going to be, uh, I think they were stumped by last week's defeat against the Giants. Unexpected. Turns out that if you're a team from New South Wales, you actually don't mind playing at GMHBA Stadium. Go figure. I have absolutely no idea why. Beats me. Any 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 football experts out there might want to explain that to me because I have no idea why the teams from New South Wales seem to play really, really well down there. But they do. Giants have now won two games there in a row. Um, but the Saints have a horrible record in Geelong. As I mentioned, 1999 was the last time they won there, I believe. So because of those reasons, the Cats are going to win and the Cats are going to win pretty comfortably. Now, uh, on to the next game, Saturday, Twilight Football at the Adelaide Oval. Now, technically, I think Carlton are mathematically a chance to make finals football. Eli, the Blues are going to have to hope on several miracles happening for them to make finals football this year. And it starts on Saturday, Twilight. Can the Blues uh, cause a power failure? Adelaide. I mean, first of all, I just hope that it's a great day in Adelaide, weather-wise, because um, Twilight Adelaide uh, Adelaide Oval, picturesque, beautiful. Um, but beyond that, um, I think same thing again. If if Carlton get up, Port Adelaide lose the next two games, Brisbane could get back into the top four. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. Um, so I'm going to have to back Port for this one because it's a little less realistic that Carlton will get up as the underdogs. So um, yeah, Port win this one, and I think it could go to four or five goals. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think the power are going to win. Um, they have too much on the line, Port Adelaide, in this game, and they know that. They play really well against teams outside the top eight, um, and Carlton definitely proved that they don't belong anywhere near the top eight this year. I think it would be a pretty comfortable win. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a complete blowout. In fact, I've gone the power by 52 points. Power by 52 points. Now, on to the Saturday night clashes, starting off at the Gabba. This game has been confirmed for Southeast Queensland. This game originally was going to be at the MCG when the fixture was originally released, but it got swapped when the Lions in round three had to give their home game to the Pies because of the COVID situation in Brisbane. And now they get to play in Brisbane. Uh, I think Brisbane are going to win. They're going to win pretty comfortably. Um, don't I wouldn't be, uh, that being said, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a super close game. I wouldn't be shocked if it was a close game. But the Lions should win by about five goals. Um, like I said, they, I think, rediscovered a bit of form last week. As you mentioned, if results go their way this weekend, one or two upset results, maybe the Saints beat the Cats, maybe the Blues beat the Power, and all of a sudden, that top four Fingers door crossed. opens. 
I don't think they'll get a percentage booster because Collingwood have mostly kept in tow with oppositions this year. But I think the uh, Lions are going to win 28 points. Yeah, if a miracle were to happen, the percentage isn't exactly essential for us. We're only 1% behind Geelong and uh, I think we're like 7% up on Port Adelaide. So um, as long as we get a couple of victories and both of them, or one of them lose both games, then we should be able to be right percentage-wise. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, Darcy Gardner and Mitch Robinson doing a fitness test today um, to see if they'll play. Marcus Adams is only one or two weeks away. Um, yeah, very exciting. Lockie Neal will be back. So um, I can't wait for this one. Last time we versed them, we were without Big O. So um, I think Grundy had something, it was like 65, 63 hitouts to four, um, which was just ridiculous. Um, so I think we can pick back that midfield battle a little bit more this time around. Um, and I expect us to continue that pressure from last week because it was good to see us back. Um, and speaking of back, yeah, back, Back at the Gabba, I think it's only our third game in the last 10 weeks, a third home game in the last 10 weeks, um, 10 or 11 weeks. So um, it's yeah, good for us to get a one in, uh, head into finals because if we do show up that fifth or sixth spot on the ladder, we'll have a, a home elimination final. Um, so yeah, I expect us to win. Um, and I won't say by how much because my tipping is always poor. So um, I'm just going to go for a, for a win. Fair enough. On to the other game on Saturday night, the Kangaroos versus the Swans at Marvel Stadium. And as a Swan supporter, this makes me a little bit nervous. Had we beaten the Saints, I would be feeling a lot more confident. But looking at this game, I'm thinking, uh, it says danger, danger, danger written all over it. Eli, can the Swans rectify their record against bottom 10 teams? Or can the Kangaroos spring it yet another surprise? I totally expect the Swans to win, but um, I'm going to back the Roos. Um, I think <laughs> I think my words will come back and haunt me um, greatly. But I've have historically on this on this show, I haven't done too well with my tips. So I'm not the um, it's like my reputation or my pride is on the line here. Um, so yeah, I'm going to back the Roos, and I think like it's, like we're talking about Hawthorne, they've got nothing to lose. This is going to come out and have a crack. Um, and heading into next year, there's going to be a lot more competition for spots because blokes are starting to play some good footy for North. So um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of blokes trying to stake their claim in that 22-23. Um, and, yeah, they could they could jump the Swans. Um, but if they do jump the Swans, I think Sydney are going to be too powerful and they will uh, peg that lead back and probably get the win in the end. But, um, yeah, you always love a good upset. Um, but, unfortunately, um, not against your side. So um, I think Swans, I hope North. <laughs> uh, I, I think Swans and I hope Swans. Um, swans should... <laughs> Fair enough. Swans should win this. Um, it's not going to be a blowout because Sydney don't blow teams away. Um, I think it will be really close for about three quarters, but there'll be a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half where the Swans will just put Peddleton medal, kick six or seven goals in a row. Roos will take it back. Swans by about 20 points. Now, on to Sunday. At the MCG, it's Melbourne versus Adelaide. Uh, the Ds should win this, and I'm tipping Melbourne to win. Adelaide 
they're just they're granted they did have a very impressive showing last week, but they're just kind of wilting towards the end of the season, just sort of crawling to the finish line, the Crows. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Ds put on an absolute percentage uh, percentage um, builder like they did against the Gold Coast Suns a couple of weeks ago. I'm tipping Melbourne by five to six goals. So I do think the Crows will make it a little bit competitive. How about you, Eli? Can the Crows bring a massive upset? Because technically the Ds could slip out of the top eight if they lose both of their games by enough. Uh, top four, excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, I don't. Oh, if they lose both games, it's even still. I think they will may, keep being top four with that draw they had. Um, that's going to help them drastically. But um, yeah, look, Adelaide started the rot for Melbourne. They started the season undefeated, lost to Adelaide, and they've um, been sort of middle of the pack, middle of the road in terms of their performance. I think that they've shown a lot of cracks. So um, I think Melbourne will be, come, will be keen to come out and dominate the side that, yeah, stopped them from being undefeated, made them the defeated. So um, I expect Melbourne to come out and, yeah, probably blow this one out for sure. Now, Eli, this is very interesting. Down at GMHBA Stadium in Geelong, Gold Coast versus Effenden. Has this stadium made this uh, made this game a lot closer than it otherwise would be, in your opinion? And who is going to win? Can the Suns end Essendon's finals hopes? Yeah, tough one again. Like I said earlier, I think Essendon will win both of their final games this week and the next week against Collingwood, but. Um, yeah, it should still be a good game. Um, Gold Coast, obviously, like like we touched on, the disappointing last uh, against Melbourne and then come out good against Carlton. So I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, exciting game, but Don's win this for mine. Um, they win by three goals in the end. Um, to be nice, a little bit more comfortably than that, um, more so out of hope, because I hope that it won't be a close game because my heart can't take another close game. <laughs> It really can't. We've played in too many close games this year. Uh, I'm tipping up five out five goals. But who knows? Down at GMHB Stadium, we lost there by seven goals earlier this year. So uh, anything's possible. Anything is possible. And on to the final game, if my internet can survive this podcast for another three minutes, we'll be done. If we won't have any more interruptions. The Western Derby, Fremantle versus West Coast, arguably the most consequential derby uh, in a long, in a long, long time. Because if the Eagles win, not only can they shore up a spot inside the top eight, but they can eliminate Fremantle from the finals race. If Fremantle win, then it all comes down to round twenty-three to see whether or not uh, a Western Australian team makes it in, and if they do, which one? How are you like? I'll ask you this one. Which WA team is going to have the win on Sunday? Sorry. 
sorry, you cut out, but I'm going to assume that you're asking where's WATM get up and get in the finals. Um, so that, I'm that going to more or less exactly what I what I asked. I I, I said um, which team are you? Uh, which team on Sunday are you? Um, which team on Sunday is going to win? Okay. Yep. I think that's a tough one. It is a tough one because I saw firsthand how poor Freer were last week, but then um, West Coast shut off for a quarter as well. But they probably looked a little bit, a little bit better um, than Fremantle last week. And yeah, for that reason, I think I'm going to go West Coast. Um, they're a seasoned outfit like I, I've, I've used before, but um, I think their pride will get on the. Or we'll get in the way and they will um, make sure that they do everything they can to If they're not going to make finals, I think they want to make sure Freya make finals. They've almost got every, all the anticipation in the world that they're going to make finals as long as they just yeah get at least one game, I think might be enough. Um but probably not. Though. I do like to West Coast win this one for mine. Fremantle's going to win. Hey, Fremantle, if you stand for anything as a club, you will win on Sunday. West Coast are there for the picking. And if you lose on Sunday, I know you stand for nothing. So no pressure, okay? Because the intense judgment of a 20-year-old a continent away from you is going to be very, very harsh. If you lose on Sunday, no <laughs> now, uh, very quickly, which game are you most looking forward to and why, and which game do you think is going to be the biggest blowout? Yeah, probably definitely that, um, the GWS Richmond game looking forward to the most. That's yeah. It's got so much on the line. Um, and I expect, I expect both teams to come out with absolutely everything they have because yeah, a win in that game could very well, um, put them into the final should results go their way this week and then next week. So um, looking forward to that game the most. But my biggest blowout, but yeah, it was probably the Melbourne Adelaide game. To be honest, it was, it's a tough, tough to pick one because that could very well be a bit of a challenging game. Not exactly a blowout. It could be something that the final score looks worse than what the game was. It could be like a, a six goal win for Melbourne um, when it was probably a little bit less than that, or it could be an eight, nine goal win. And um, it was just like a dominant last quarter and a bit or last the dominant second half or first half. Um, so yeah, that, those are probably my tips, but I expect it to be a cracking round because so much in line for every single side in every single game, um, whether they're trying to just lock in a top four spot, lock in a top eight spot, or maybe push some of those finals teams, get off the bottom of the ladder, um, yeah, and, and players trying to show up their position for next season. It should be a cracking round and cracking cracking round next week as well. I think the power will send a shock, an electric shock through the foundation of uh, David Teague at Carlton with a massive win on Saturday afternoon. As for the game I'm most looking forward to, it'll be the Western Derby. I think that is the game that has the biggest implications on the top eight. And it's uh, been a fair while since we since we could legitimately say that a Western Derby was important to the outcome of the season. But, hey, teams are trending in opposite directions. The Eagles are falling. The Dockers are starting to rise a bit. 
this game could very well be exciting. Doctors, don't let me down, okay? May the power of Pavlich compel you win. I'm begging you, please. <laughs> Thank you, Eli, for joining me for this episode. Uh, this is going to be fun to edit. Good luck for the game on uh, Saturday. Um, personally speaking, as a Sydney supporter, um, no offence, but I'm probably going to be going to Collingwood. As for my Essendon supporter self, though, I hope you felt the living daylights out of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on the mic. Appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Food of the Banner podcast and for putting up with all the technical faults. Uh, as for next week, join me and a co-host and hopefully better internet connection as we <laughs> review round 22 and preview the final round of the home and away season as the home and away season reaches that final note of its crescendo. Until then...